Welcome to the second sermon in a series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, if you were here last week, you heard Dan Kim speak about uh, on a message on Cornerstone, which Jesus is our cornerstone due to his death and resurrection. Uh, we've been given many spiritual blessings, and Dan pointed out several of those. He spoke on three. And if you think of uh, in the series of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 1 through 3 is kind of a spiritual benefits package for believers. So it's talks about our standing in Christ and all the things that God's done for us. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 go into how do we live the Christian life. And I'm going to be talking today on chapter 4 and in the outline. I'll try to point out to you some things. Uh, Three things I want to touch upon is unity within the body of Christ, uh, serving one another with spiritual gifts, and uh, our lives should be lived differently than those outside of the church. So hopefully you can follow along. Um, some of the slides I'll have uh, scripture for. Some you may want to open your Bible and follow along with me. And uh, one of these days I'll remember to use the NIV. I've, all the passages I have today are in uh, the New American Standard. So I'm going to try to get started here. All right. Chat, verse 1, Paul says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And every time I see the word walk in the Bible, I think of a previous church that I had attended where we met in elementary school. We had to set up the sound system and the chairs, and then when service was over, we had to break down everything. And one of the young guys on the worship team, at the end of the service, he, would, he was a guitarist, he would start wailing on his guitar, and he would be playing the song from Aerosmith, uh, Walk This Way, yes, you got it. Hello. There we go. Visual effect. Every Sunday he would just play that song and he just loved it. And, and uh, so one day I happened to be walking past him and I said, Mike, is that a hymn you're playing? He says, no. I says, Mike, I think you ought to write a hymn. And I was joking with him and he thought for a second, then he smiled and he started wailing on his guitar playing the song. And when he got to the chorus, instead of walk this way, walk this way, he says, walk God's way, walk God's way. So I don't know if Mike ever finished this hymn, but what I was going to do is throw down a challenge to the worship team. If you guys can come up with uh, a couple of lyrics, a couple of verses for lyrics and play this song, I'll take you all out to dinner. So you may laugh at me, but uh, it's... uh, it's a, it's a pretty cool song, or it's got a good beat to it. I, I don't know what the lyrics are. But anyway, Paul wants us to walk in a manner worthy of what we've been called. And to walk, the Bible, uh, is a metaphor, it's a figure of speech, which means conduct or way to behave, way to live. It's a lifestyle. And to be worthy is to have worth or value equal to one's position or, or title. So a Christian whose life is worthy is one whose conduct shows that he or she has been made alive or made new in Christ and is a disciple and is a follower of Jesus. And that was a pretty big uh, passage uh, for Paul to put out to his, his followers. I don't know, when you first came to Christ, did you realize what you were getting into? Probably the Ephesians didn't when they got this letter, but I think Paul did. And like any time you've got a big project, whether it's at the, where you work or a home improvement project, you've got to have the right frame of mind. You've got to psych yourself up, so to speak. And the way Paul does that is he wants us to have a mindset with three things in mind. One is, it says, with humility, gentleness, and patience. 
showing tolerance for one another in love. So the three mindsets that he wants us to have, and this is going to carry through to the end of the book of Ephesians, and it will carry us through to the end of our lives, is we need to have humility, gentleness, and patience. The bulk of the Christian life is lived out in the context of interacting with other people. So we need to have tolerance, we need to have love for one another, but we have to have the mindset of humility, gentleness, and patience. Yeah, there is a private aspect to our faith, you know, our Bible reading, our prayer life, our, our meditation, but the rubber meets the road when we interact with other people, and we have to have this mindset. And the first place that Paul wants us to uh, talk about the first thing he wants us to address is unity. In verse 3 it says, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And this picture is, I wouldn't call that unity, I'd call that conformity. They all walk alike, look alike, talk alike. And actually this is a better image of unity. You've got a bunch of people, different people, different sizes, different shapes, skills, ability, but they all have the same purpose the same mindset, they have each other's back, and they're working for a common goal. That's what, what unity is. And the reason why Paul needed to address this is if you look in the, in the history of the book of Ephesians, is that the Ephesian church was a very mixed group. They were mixed ethnically, culturally, racially, linguistically. Religiously, they were also a mixed group. There were a lot of uh, former pagans, and there were also uh, Jewish people that were involved. So imagine Paul was trying to get these people to work together. And there's two reasons I think that Paul was talking about uh, unity. Um, one is that uh, it reflects God's image. If you look in verses 4, 5, and 6, it says there's one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And we reflect God's image because in this passage we have the Trinity, we have the Spirit, we have the Lord, which is talking about Jesus, and we have the Father. So the reason I think Paul was doing this was that a lot of the people in Ephesus worshipped multiple gods, and a lot of these gods had rivalries, and they were, they were jealous, there was fighting, and the, and the people who followed these gods felt like a kid in the middle of a divorce. And, got, and Paul's saying, no, we have unity. God is one of one purpose, one mind. You do, not, you do not have to be afraid. And another little tidbit in this little ver- this, uh, verses is the word one appears seven times. And if you're a fan of or study biblical numerology, is that the number seven is associated with perfection. And he may have been reaching out to his Jew- the former Jewish folks to remind them of the teachings of the Old Testament that seven is related to God and God. what's more perfect than God. So... And another reason that unity is important is we need to go back to what Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 20 to 21. It says, I do not ask, he's praying here, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, he's talking about his 12 disciples, but, those, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's important because Christ brings people together who normally don't mix. And I don't want to sound like a a beauty uh, pageant contestant, but if you ask the average person on the street, 
you know, if they had one wish for mankind, it would probably be for peace, you know, world peace, you know, the beauty queen speech. But the unification that Jesus brings to mankind is the hope of peace that the world longs for. And people outside the church may not immediately understand or recognize who Jesus is or what he did, but at least they can, they can see the unifying effect that he has on people from different backgrounds and different beliefs and those who choose to follow him. So unity can bring people to faith in Jesus. And it's very important, and therefore we try very hard to get along with each other. But to be united, we need to be humble, gentle, and patient with each other. Now, unity's strange companion is diversity. In the next section, Ephesians 7 through 16, uh, Paul talks about different spiritual gifts. And in verse 11, he mentions, um, he mentions five apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And a spiritual gift, in case you don't know, is a special divine empowerment or ability given by the Holy Spirit to believers to accomplish God's ministry within a group of people, within a group or a body of believers. And the apostles and prophets were very important in the early church. Uh, they established and determined and, and taught on what were the essential elements of the faith, what is, what is the essence of Christianity, because they did not have the advantage of a Bible, obviously, that we have today. So they were the ones who laid the foundation, established the, the foundational truths, and, and elaborated on them. Evangelists were people who, uh, as you may understand, are people who have a special capacity to share the gospel and communicate the gospel to the lost. And evidently the Ephesians were very good at that because in Acts chapter 19, uh, when it describes Paul's mission, missionary trip to Ephesus, that it says that all the people in Ephesus heard the word of the Lord. So whether that's literal or whether that's an exaggeration for the point of making a, a, a point is that many, many people heard the, the gospel preached, and it's probably because of those evangelists. And there are pastors and teachers. Uh, the pastors, they comfort, they encourage, they, they help lead the flock. Uh, teachers, they help expand and expound upon what the foundational truths are so that we can all understand it and apply it to our lives. Now, in the New Testament, there's several different passages that talk about spiritual gifts. And just a couple of them that I'll mention, uh, there are uh, those who have the ability to serve one another. There's those who are very generous in giving. There's those who lead. You know, we need people to organize and coordinate the uh, groups of believers. There's those who show mercy, those who have that special ability to come alongside somebody and, and, and encourage them when they're going through a very difficult or trying time. There's also... I uh, lost my spot here. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, people that can look into a situation and understand what's going on or what the problem is or what the solution might be. There's those who have the gift of faith, that special ability to trust God when other people may not be willing to step out in faith. And then there's healing, there's miracles, there's speaking in tongues, there's interpreting in tongues. And what's interesting about all these passages is that the gifts that are listed in each one are different. There's some overlap, but they're different. And many scholars believe that that was because at each specific location, there was a unique need or issue that was being addressed, and that's why the, the specific gifts were given. And another re thing that people point out is that because God does that, it seems to give unique gifts for unique situations, is that may not be the entire list of gifts that there are. 
If you go through the Bible, you could probably come up with about 20 or so that are listed, depending on how you count them. But even today, there may be situations where unique issues are developing, and we need people with unique gifts to address those specific situations. So God is, uh, gives those gifts to accomplish his purpose within a given body of believers. Now, why do we have the gifts? It says, for the equipping of the saints, in verse 12, for the ser- work of service and for the building up of the body. Spiritual gifts are meant to help us walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But how do you build up the body? Well, just like you build up a physical body, you can build up a body in strength. When we minister to each other, we can increase our capacity to serve each other and to serve God. We can build up the body by improving our health. Your body needs resistance for diseases. We can build up our church body to be resistance to wrong teaching or to evil that may creep in. You can build up a body in size. Unfortunately, as we get older, we get bigger this way instead of this way. And size-wise, when we share the gospel, when we bring people to church, we can increase the size of our, our body. And also, you build up a body in, by maturity. We can all grow in deeper or deeper knowledge of Christ or deeper understanding of the scriptures. And also, a better consistency and capacity to live the Christian life. We're never going to be perfect, but we should always be on an upward trend. So maturity will bring consistency to live more like Christ. So there's two things in the area here of, um, that I want you to, for spiritual gifts, is in verse 12, everybody has a spiritual gift. So always bear that in mind. Everybody has a spiritual gift. And then verse 16 says, all believers are to be involved in the building up of the body. It's not just the teachers or the preachers or the worship team. Everybody has a part. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. We, we need each other. And as we do life together, it's a two-way street. There's givers and there's receivers. There's servers and those who are being served, those who minister, those who are ministering to. We all need to be on both sides of that. We need to minister. I need to minister to you. You need to minister to me. And if we have the mindset of humility, gentleness, and patience, it helps us as we interact with other people, and it also helps as we let them serve and minister to us. When we minister to each other, change takes place in our lives, and that's what Paul talks about in the next section, verses 17 through 32. And he says, So I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Well, there's that W word again. Remember, it's not walk this way, it's walk God's way. You guys aren't laughing. You're supposed to laugh at this point. Now, I want to know, Sam, are you taking notes or are you writing lyrics for the, your... Never mind. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a revival on the West Coast, and there were a lot of young Christians who came to faith, or a lot of young people who came to faith in Christ, and they had no knowledge of the church. And what they did was to worship Jesus, they took the common rock and roll songs of the day, and they did put Christian lyrics to them. And that was how they worshiped. So I'm not that far off by challenging you guys to come up with a, with a song. We've got to remember when we come to faith in Christ that People don't become perfect overnight. It's a long process. We bring with us a lot of baggage, a lot of bad values, a lot of, even from, pre, you may have a previous religious background, 
that's contrary to the teachings of Scripture. And we need to work towards shedding those values, and that's what Paul uh, wants us to do in verses 17 through 19, where it says, So I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of, of every kind of impurity and greediness. Now, there's some interesting words in here. He's not talking about the average person who's just unaware of God, but when he uses the word darkness and ignorance and callousness, He's talking about people that are embracing a value system that's different than, than the gospel. And he makes it very clear that we should leave those behind. The people of Ephesus were involved in, uh, they worshiped multiple gods. They believed in fate, which was the, this god or gods who controlled humanity like people were puppets and they had no hope. No, they were kind of set in their way. It was, there was no escape from that. They practiced dark magic, exorcism. They were always fearful of demons, so they were trying to ward off evil spirits. In the word here, sensuality, I believe Paul was taking a direct shot at the uh, uh, patron god of the Ephesians, which was uh, Artemis. And I think Dan showed a temple, uh, the temple or picture last week of what was left of the temple of Artemis which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Artemis is kind of a hideous figure, uh, was the fertility god. And they don't know whether those are breasts or eggs or even bull testicles that were part of the sacrifice. Uh, the practice of those who worshipped Artemis, it was a very erotic form of worship. They had temple prostitutes. And basically to say it, nicely, it was not a very family-friendly place to go to. Somebody said, and I, I couldn't find this quote, but they said, bad theology leads to immoral behavior. And we kind of see that pattern here. Paul's warning people, you have to reject your belief system of the past. And then in the verses that follow, he talks about the, the, the lifestyle that you should no longer live and, and embrace a new style. So, uh, if you see a believer who is not living according to the truths of Scripture, they may have a wrong understanding, wrong theology, wrong view of God, and that needs to be corrected. But believers need to change their behavior so they can be like Jesus. So how do we do that? Paul says, In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of, this, of deceit, and that you being be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So what we see here is a laying aside of the old and putting on of the new. Casting off what we used to be to embrace what we've become. And the hinge there is the renewing of our mind. And this verse is very similar to Romans 12, 2, which says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to reprogram our minds. We need to put God's truth in our mind. We need to put good teaching in our mind. And then we need to choose to live. So the one important point of this passage, this section, is we need to choose how we're going to live. We need to choose to live like Jesus. Because how you set your mind is going to determine how you live. 
And just ask yourself a question. What, what do you think about at night before, before you go to sleep? What do you think about in the car as you're driving? You know, where is your mind? And so you may need to police your mind and your thoughts and what you're doing because that's going to dictate how you're going to live your life. So we need to take off the old and put on the new. And I was trying to come up with a good illustration for this. And I don't know if you guys watch a lot of TV, but there's a woman named Stacy London. She has a couple fashion shows. And she takes people from where they are and tries to dress them up and make them look better. And um, for those of you who are fashion challenged, the before picture is on your left and the after picture is on your right. So I don't want, I don't want to see Janice coming in with green hair. And uh, So these are a couple of uh, the makeovers. Uh, taking off the old and putting on the new. I love this girl's boots. And that hippie belly dancer. It's amazing what, uh, what can happen uh, just by your appearance. But it's also interesting. You can look and you can still see the individual, same individual in both pictures. And the same when we become Christians, our true essence doesn't change. God made each one of us unique. But when we change, when we become more like him, that uniqueness still stays there. But there is a transformation on the outside. We will live different lives if we let the Holy Spirit control us. And some of the things we need to take off, Paul, real quickly, uh, I'll run through those. Is he says in verse 25, he says, no longer speak falsehoods. Instead, speak the truth. Don't be angry. Uh, don't be destructive. Instead, have there is a place for anger, a righteous anger, but make sure you always make things right. Don't give Satan the opportunity to be disruptive and destructive within the body. Don't let, your, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. There is a place for righteous anger. Stop stealing. Instead, labor so you can have resources to share and give to others. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Edify or build up one another by what you say. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The word grieve is the same word that's been used to describe the intense pain of childbirth. So when we sin, we are grieving. We are causing pain on the Holy Spirit. So don't take your sins lightly. Jesus paid for those sins. Those sins is what put him on the cross. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. Bitterness and wrath, instead, be tenderhearted and kind to one another. And in the last verse, it's kind of a, probably the biggest challenge of this whole chapter do you really want to walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord? Do you really want to live in a way that sets yourself apart from the world? Then I challenge you to forgive. Forgive one another just as Christ has also forgiven you. Perhaps of all the things that we can do on earth to reflect God's image is to be forgiving of other people. And not just go through the motions, not just say the words, but to forgive someone from your heart. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. And perhaps it's the greatest measure of how humble, how gentle, and how patient you are, is how forgiving of a person you are. If you recall the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, one of the lines is, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our, those who trespass against us. When Jesus finished that sample prayer, he was teaching his disciples how to pray. When he finished that, he went back and he touched upon one point, and that was about forgiveness. And he said, if you forgive others, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. And if you don't forgive others, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. 
That's a very, very high standard. Now, the forgiveness he's talking about is not our, the forgiveness pertaining to salvation, but it's the forgiveness of sins, because sin will break our fellowship with God. When we accept Christ, we are in his family, we become his sons and daughters, and that will never change. But when we sin, we break our fellowship with him. And, and if you are experiencing difficulty in your relationship with God, does God seem distant? Does God seem like he's not answering your prayers? Could I challenge you to consider that maybe you're harboring a spirit of unforgiveness towards someone? It's uh, not an easy thing to do, and sometimes uh, uh, you may need professional help depending upon what you've gone through, what's been done to you, but the bottom line is that we need to be able to forgive others. So does all of this matter? Humility, gentleness, and patience? Well, I'm not a real big history buff, but I'm glad for those people who do dig through ancient records. And somebody came across something uh, that, that says, by the early second century, now Ephesians was written in the first century, about 60 AD. It says, by the early second century, the Roman governor of a nearby province complained that the temples of the gods were being forsaken due to the conversions to Christianity. It wasn't until they started arresting the Christians that the temple worship came back. So Paul's audience took his words to heart. They chose to be humble, gentle, and patient. They chose to live in unity. They chose to minister each other with the Holy, uh, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they chose to live a, a markedly different lifestyle. And it resulted in many, many people coming to faith in Christ so that the temple worship almost became extinct. We need to choose how we're going to live. Are we going to live in unity? Are we going to live ministering to each other? And are we going to live different lives than the rest of the world? And we don't do this so that we can pat ourselves on the back. We do it so that we can expand God's kingdom. Let me pray. Dearly Father, we come before you give you thanks that you loved us so much that you died on the cross for us. Thank you that you invited us into your family. Thank you for the change that you've done in our lives. I thank you for your patience and faithfulness to us over the years. Lord, I pray that we could be humble, gentle, and patient with each other. Lord, so that we can be a light to the world. And Lord, we just want to do this so that we can walk in a manner worthy of you, so we can walk your way and not our way. And we just give our lives to you as a sacrifice, and we just give you thanks, and we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.